Welcome to Easy Bake Takes, the podcast where we read you the one-star reviews of your favorite movies and more. I'm Kat. And I'm Riley. And to continue actors directing, we have a, a cute little directed by George Clooney written by the Coen Brothers movie called Suburbicon, which came out in 2017 and is rated R and is classified as a crime comedy and is only an hour and 45 minutes long. 28% critic score and 26% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie, just to paint a picture of what we're about to get into. Suburbicon is set in 1959 in an all-white neighborhood called Suburbicon that is shaken by the arrival of the Myers, the only black family to move into Suburbicon. The film focuses on Gardner Lodge, who is a mild-mannered family man who lives in Suburbicon with his paraplegic wife, Rose, and their son, Nikki. One night, when Rose's identical sister, Margaret, is staying over, two robbers named Sloan and Louise break into their house and tie the whole family up knock them out with chloroform. Rose is given too much, which causes her organs to fail, and she ends up dying. So we're at her funeral now. Margaret moves in after the funeral to help take care of Nikki and soon begins to slowly transform herself to look like Rose because they are identical, but she dyes her hair to look like her and starts having sex with Gardner. The Lodge family is called to the police station to identify the robbers. Both Gardner and Margaret say that none of those are the right guys, like that's not them. And Nikki recognizes them and tries to talk to his dad about it. And he's like, no, 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 it's not them. Sloan and Louise show up at Gardner's job and they're mad at him because he brought his kid and they start demanding the money that he's owed from Rose's ins- life insurance policy that they got. And Gardner refuses to pay, and they threaten to kill Nikki and Margaret. Tensions start mounting between the residents of Suburbicon and the Meyer family. Then a charismatic insurance agent named Bud Cooper arrives at the lodge's doorstep uh, while Gardner is not home and begins to question Margaret. And he initially says he's coming in to just clear things up and red flags on the life insurance claim that Gardner made on Rose, but eventually admits to Margaret that he suspects her and Gardner of murdering Rose to collect the policy, at which point Margaret kicks him out of the house. That night, a protest breaks out at the Myers' home that turns into a riot, and Bud Cooper returns to Gardner's home to talk to him, and he tells Gardner that he knows the nature of his and Margaret's insurance fraud plan and attempts to blackmail them into giving him all of the money in exchange for his silence. Margaret puts lye in his coffee, Gardner bashes his head with a fire poker, and puts him in the trunk of his car and he leaves to hide the body, but he's trailed by Sloane, one of the robbers. Margaret attempts to kill Nikki by poisoning him with a milk and sandwich. Like, after she catches him calling his uncle Mitch, Nikki refuses to leave his room. Luis enters and strangles Margaret to death, and then he heads upstairs to try and murder Nikki. Nikki hides under the bed, and Mitch arrives just in time to kill Luis, but he also gets stabbed, and he gives Nikki his gun and hides him in the closet. And then, after disposing of Cooper's body... Gardner is taunted by Sloane, who is suddenly hit and killed by a fire truck on its way to the Myers' home because of the rioters. Gardner returns home and discovers that Margaret, Mitch, and Luis are dead and finds Nikki in a closet. And then he offers Nikki a choice between going along with this plan and running away or he's going to kill him. He tells Nikki that he's not allowed to hang out with Andy, who is the Myers' family's son. Gardner 
while this conversation is happening is eating the sandwich and drinking the milk that was intended for Nikki. And then the next morning, Gardner dies. Nikki calmly goes outside and starts playing baseball with Andy Myers. As this happens, Mr. and Mrs. Myers and some members of the community help them clean up the mess that was left on their lawn after the riot. And that's the end of the movie. Sure is. Sure is. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie was directed by George Clooney, also known as Amal Clooney's husband. Her little husband made a movie. (laughs) Her cute little husband made a movie. (laughs) But this was written by Joel and Ethan Cohen, and also parts of it were written by George Clooney and Grant Heslov, and Grant Heslov also wrote Monuments Men. Oh, starting (laughs) to make sense now. We're, uh, (laughs) we're wrong. So... (laughs) The score was by Alexandre Duplat, who did, if you remember, the music for The Shape of Water. The cinematography was by Robert Ellswit, who did the cinematography for There Will Be Blood and Nightcrawler, which those are good movies. Yeah, very pretty movies, too. The cast includes Matt Damon playing Gardner, Julianne Moore playing Rose and Margaret, Jack Conley playing Hightower, which is the cop, Oscar Isaac playing Bud Cooper, Tony Espinosa playing Andy Myers, Karima Westbrook playing Mrs. Meyer. Leith Burke playing Mr. Meyer, Steve Monroe playing the mailman, Noah Jupe playing Nikki, he's also in A Quiet Place, and James Handy playing Mayor Billings. And then some trivia. According to executive producer Joel Silver, Joel and Ethan Cohen originally wrote the script for Suburbicon in 1986, soon after releasing their film Blood Simple. In 2005, it was reported that George Clooney would star in and direct the film while the Cohen brothers were going to produce it. Ten years later, the film was made, combining two previously unrelated scripts, one true crime film by the Coens, and the other a historical drama by Clooney and Grant Heslov based on the real-life story of the Myers family, the only black family in an all-white Levitt town pennsylvania neighborhood who faced racially charged harassment and violence from other residents um so they just combined these two scripts they combined like the matt damon part and the myers family part and just said yes that is why that's why it's so messy (laughs) (laughs) which we'll come back to yeah Woody Harrelson was also supposed to be in this movie, but couldn't because of scheduling conflicts. And then (laughs) Josh Brolin was cast, but he was completely cut from the final cut of the movie. What did he play? What did he do? It didn't say. I know that happens sometimes where they just completely cut somebody's part out of a movie. That's so odd. But that must be heartbreaking (laughs) to get to the premiere and be like, I'm not in it. I wasn't in it. This was a box office bomb. It had 12 million er earnings against a 25 million budget, and it was the lowest opening weekend gross of any Paramount film released in over 2,000 films. Surprisingly, there were only like three factual errors to this movie, and they were all based around how the like the point remote was used (gasps) on the TV. Oh, the little laser remote pointed it at the wrong corners for the wrong functions, because like one corners to turn it off, one corners to change the channel. Oh, and they just did the wrong corner. I was memorized by watching that i was like because i didn't know it was that (laughs) i didn't know it like they called the clicker or something yeah it was the first ever tv remote that's crazy i didn't know it looked like that Mm -hmm. and i was the whole time i was watching that it was literally like you're just shooting your tv with it like a little flashlight almost yeah literally it it like yeah it's it works kind of like a flashlight you have to beam it in specific corners to do different functions but yeah those those that was the only factual error thing which was surprising for a movie that's set in the 50s you know Mm mm-hmm what are your thoughts and opinions on this movie? Watching it and knowing the Coen Brothers wrote wrote a good chunk of this makes sense because it kind of reads like a Coen Brothers movie. But it's so 
messy because it's kind of really hard to understand what the meaning like I get it like suburbia is very like toxic and has the undergrowth of violence you know absolutely I totally agree with it but it's like that message kind of got lost a little because I feel like I missed yeah. something I feel like I, I I get what you mean and it like you said it's it's a very messy movie mm-hmm. and I think that that definitely contributes to feeling like there's something that should have been there that wasn't mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like the two storylines were no they're like it's they were trying to make like a parallel there but it didn't it didn't work and i know the the whole time i'm like i don't really know like i get it like suburbia is racist and uh, and awful and i totally understand that but like what what else what like why why these two and it's like you know the myers family that could have been their own movie like and like you said they made them a script and just put them together and to me, that's like, okay, they did that, but they didn't, like, put it together, you know? Yeah. They didn't... It's not cohesive. It's like, no. I just don't understand where the connection between the Myers family and the Lodge family and what's going on there. Yeah. I just... Even Coen Brothers' part, it was a little more cohesive, but it's still, like, there was stuff missing from the Lodge family portion of it. I think that Gardner would win the award for Worst Dad. Mm-hmm. Nothing was set up for him to even be an okay dad. Never seemed fatherly throughout the entire thing. The first time we see him ever is when the incident's happening. When the... Um, yeah, when the robbers come. Exactly. So we see him... And it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of, this movie's just kind of weird. It is. It is. It seems, it's very, for lack of a better way of saying it, half-baked. Yeah. It's not like this movie was it has an interesting concept all of it oh of course like you said half-baked it's just not it's just it lacks in so many areas it doesn't make sense also i'm a little confused by the ending so uncle mitch comes in saves the kid he picks up the phone that nikki called him from but julia moore's character pulled it from the socket yeah she like cut the yeah she cut it or something and he picks it up and he goes hello and I guess it doesn't work because, like, no one shows up. The police don't show up. No, it doesn't work. No. Okay. It doesn't work. And I think he dies shortly after because he's, like, dying. That makes sense because I thought it was working. I thought the, the yeah. police were going to come. I hated the ending. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole... His body's all around. You gotta call the cops, kid. <laughs> Someone's gotta t- take those oh, out. Yeah. What you, you can't just go outside and play baseball. You, like, at least there's literally, like, TV cameras. Just be like, um, somebody, <laughs> excuse me. My whole family's dead in there. And, like, that's the whole thing, too, is the ending. The ending just throws me off, too, because I don't really understand. Because it ends with the two boys playing. I'm like, but, like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I, like yeah. I don't understand it. So we went through all of this, and I don't, yeah. like, I feel like there's something to be meant by it. And I'm just like, I missed it. <laughs> also, something I wrote down, like, it's one of the few things I wrote down. How did he not taste? She took a whole bottle of, like, sleeping pills or something, I'm it assuming. Was, yeah. And just, he was... Like, you didn't taste that at he all? He would have tasted it. He would ta- It would have tasted like, I've heard people say it tasted like a, I want to say tart or sour or something like that. It'll taste off. It'll at least be chalky. I think that's another part of it just being half-baked. The ending, it just didn't seem like, felt like all the steaks were lost by the time he was eating the sandwich. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Because I'm just sitting there waiting for him to die. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, he ate the sandwich. Yeah, exactly. As soon as as I saw him sitting and the sandwich was in front of him, I'm like, okay, I know where this is going. Is there going to be like a last, he's trying to get the kid seen that he's going to die? Like a chase or something, you know? I feel like it would have been a more Cohen 
brother ending to have like a little running around the house and he's just slowly dying chasing after him Mm -hmm. that would have been something at least but it finished and i was like nothing about that was good i wanted to like it like i was sitting through it i was like this it's got something so many talented people like yes no one did bad in this movie in the context of like they all did good with what they had i'm just gonna say noah jupe and tony espinoza the kids Mm -hmm. they both did great like their part of the movie was amazing like the kids were great Mm mm-hmm I didn't know Julianne Moore. I was really confused by this Julianne Moore playing two characters. I was so confused. I was so thrown off. One, I thought they were two separate actresses at first. I'm like, oh, but I get it because people say they always look alike. And then I realized it's just Julianne Moore. I didn't know who the other actress was. There is a critic, I left this part out of her review, but she was talking about how she often confuses actors if like, you know, they have a similar letter in their last name or like they kind of look similar. So she was like, she was convinced that it was two different actresses. Yeah, the same, same. Like, yeah. But yeah, it's just, they're, they're just both Julianne Moore. But I will say the way that they did it, it look it, it looks absolutely seamless. I like it was two separate actresses. Absolutely. Parent trap level seamless. <laughs> But what I was going to say with that is like, I didn't know. So Julia Moore blonde, Rose, I didn't know she was the mother of Nikki until after her funeral. Yeah, because Margaret seemed more motherly. So I was really confused. They didn't establish that well at the beginning. Margaret's like you were trapped in that marriage or whatever to Gardner. And it's like, how? Like, why? Like, what Mar- What was wrong with Rose? Well, I'm, I'm assuming this is what I assume she had gotten that car wreck. And she was in the wheelchair. I assumed that the car wreck was his first attempt to get rid of her. See, they never stop. They never get into that. They re- they only yeah. That's the thing. Briskly mention the car wreck. She was like, "No one died. No one died." And she was like, "Yep, everything turned out fine." Yeah, exactly. And it, and she says it in such a way of like she almost knows mm-hmm. onto something, but they don't play into that at all. No. It's like that would have been interesting if we got a sorry anything from rose because rose was really just a bat i think rose literally has only two five lines yeah she's in the first five minutes of the movie first and- five minutes and we get nothing about rose mm-hmm. nothing about her being nikki's mom we hardly get any information about the car wreck but i assume yeah. trapped in that marriage i i assume because like you know she's in a wheelchair and that's what i assumed i didn't know though seeming like maybe he was trying to kill her on purpose with the car accident because she was the only one that was permanent injured they don't clarify and i'm not trying to sound ableist by saying like oh he no, felt no, trapped no. by being her being in a wheelchair but like if you think about back in the 1950s women were literally seen one sexual and two uh you have to take care of the house and if you can't do either mm-hmm. why are you around kind of thing exactly yeah no i get i get what you mean okay i wish they went more into it actually see that that's something that i think would have added to that storyline at least mm-hmm. anything about rose anything Throw me a flashback. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, no kidding. I had watched this movie before. Did you like it the first time you watched it? Or no, you, no. you said it was nothing about it. <laughs> it was good. No, nothing, nothing about, nothing redeeming about it. Mm-hmm. Like once it ended, I was like, that was it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to add or you want to wait till we get into the critics more? No, we'll get into the critics. So the critical reviews. The first one I have is from Ready Steady Cut and was written by Alex Turner in 2017, who gave it a three out of five. And I'm just going to say right now, some of the, even the fresh ones were not positive. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were like slightly, slightly positive, but slightly just as much critique as the negative ones. Wow. 
So Turner believes that it's a struggle to pin down the genre of this film. They say, quote, the Coen brothers have scripted a handful of films for other directors which worked out well, so I don't think collaboration per se is the problem. I'm fairly sure it was the writing. Apparently, Clooney and Heslov reworked a Coen brothers screenplay. Damn shame about the result, end quote. And then they talk about how the film tries to talk about race and also mentions that this part of the storyline was not included in the trailer for the movie, but they don't believe that this was the right medium for a racism message and references that it was done better in movies like Hidden Figures and Get Out. Mm. The racism subplot was so separated that they question its inclusion in the movie. Right? Okay. That's the thing. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I just... Yeah. Yeah. And then they say, quote, that's another thing. Was it really the 1950s? I kept expecting some revelation to show that it was in, set in present day. Oh. The people had elected to live in a city with 1950s style and facilities as part of getting away from the real world. Or it was so stylized because of some Truman Show style explanation, end quote. Hmm. They also say that the tone of the film meanders between tense and farcical, and then it veers into tragic all of a sudden. Like, two separate movies are put into one, it feels like. Mm. You're, you're going back and forth, you're like, what's... How how are these two different stories going on? We know they're both existing at the same time, but they're not included with each other. The only connection between the two families is the boys. Mm -hmm. And that is it. Turner also does praise the performances of Oscar Isaac and Karima Westbrook. Turner ends this review with, quote, Suburbicon was entertaining, though, and grabbed me just enough that I kept expecting those issues to be resolved. I feel like it was taking me towards some satisfying conclusion, but I'm sorry to say it did not. End quote. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Because I feel this movie was so messy. I'm a loss of words of how to describe how it was messy. And that makes a lot of sense. It felt you felt like it was going to go go towards something. You thought it was going to all come together at the end, at least. Doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it just leaves you going, what? <laughs> exactly. The next review is from Caution Spoiler, written by Sarah Cartland in 2017, and she gave the movie a two and a half out of five and says that the 50s period details are fun, but tonally the movie is all over the place. It says that she was kept on her toes at times, but not as much by the actual like thriller elements. Yeah. She also praises the performances of Noah Jupe and Oscar Isaac and then says that the two tones of the com comedic antics at the lodges and the threatening racism outside the Myers house just don't work together. And then says that the Myers are barely seen and their story is put in the background describing that the film portrays them as, quote, the dignified but almost invisible black family, end quote. Yeah, because they are really like, they're going through like really, really awful, horrible, horrible things. And they're just the side characters and we just mm -hmm. kind of periodically keep checking in on them and it keeps getting worse and it's awful but they again still not the main focus of the movie and it's just always like but why and the whole time i was like i don't i don't understand <laughs> i don't i don't yeah i would say that's fair yeah that you're confused by it they also mentioned that the character of uncle mitch is very engaging and he's larger than life but just not included enough for them again 10 minutes maybe 10 minutes on screen yeah they end this review with, quote, Without the Myers' partly told story and the misfiring comic weirdness, the goings-on at the lodges would be an entertaining 1950s melodrama updated for the age of irony. From the brightly colored fixtures and fittings to the jarring music which appears at times of peril, instead, this is an uncomfortable watch where all the seams are visible despite its classy cast, end quote. Very good way to put it. But we'll move on to the next one from Fresh Fiction, written by James Cole Clay in 2017, who gave this a B-, and they say, quote, mm. Clooney's film is a lot of things, 
but outright terrible it is not. Despite its roundabout way of making a point on racial ethics, the film is dipped into a half-baked murder mystery that's oddly daring and quite possibly incompetent, although the material works in a chin-stroking kind of way. End quote. So it just makes you go, hmm. It did, but not in a good way. No. They called it half-baked and incompetent. But they're trying to be positive about it, and it's like, no, I mean, I'm sorry, like, I'm not scratching my chin because I'm thinking, oh, this is cl this is too clever for my brain. I'm like, no, there's nothing to 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 analyze or put together here. I don't understand. I'm confused because yeah. it's bad filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Well, they say that the film is unfocused, but that makes it a fascinating filmmaking exercise. No. Um, and it felt like it. Hold on. It was, they say it felt like it was made on a dare, or that they had too much <laughs> confidence in their reach for relevant social commentary. So it seems like if you were to take, if you were to give this kind of script this disjointed messy script to like a film student as an exercise to be like how mm -hmm. would you make this work mm -hmm. i could see that or like you, dissecting what's wrong with it is a good filmmaking exercise maybe i i get that like absolutely and i think there's enough substance in this movie to absolutely do that and make it cohesive and to actually have like an actual message but the movie didn't do that so therefore you can't give this movie a high rating when it didn't do yeah. You're saying someone else could do? Is that what they're saying? I, what I'm getting from the fascinating filmmaking exercise part of it is like, you could take this movie into a film class and be like, let's break down what they did wrong and how we could fix it if we were to make this movie over. That's not a compliment, though. <laughs> that shouldn't no, be a compliment. And I think, I think it feels like this person was afraid to outright shit on this movie. Just say it's bad <laughs> but they they also said that matt damon is his best when he's playing stupid <laughs> so the opposite of goodwill hunting goodwill hunting he's hiding the fact that he's smart so i guess he is playing dumb <laughs> i think that is i think that's a kind of a backhanded compliment you're it really is. good when you play stupid <laughs> you're really good at pretending to be dumb <laughs> but also oh, that's funny and then they said that Oscar Isaac is the only perfect one in his role and his scenes that were opposite Julianne Moore just shows you everything that this movie could have been like. Mm. And then, quote, personally, I feel a bit hypocritical given Clooney's film on pass on elements that would pan another film. It's that Clooney mystique that allows the film to be charming in a pseudo intellectual kind of way. Again, so backhanded. <laughs> Such a backhanded compliment. I don't. Yeah, these are, this is not, this is not a nice review. No, they're being, <laughs> they're being mean. And I'm, they gave I, it a B minus. But I, that's the part that's throwing me off. It's like, are they, are they being, do they think they're being genuine or they're being snarky? I don't know, because think, to me, this sounds just straight up rude. <laughs> I, I feel like they're trying to be nice, but it's, they, it can, it's like hard to write. It's really hard for them. Without sounding <laughs> snarky. Yeah. Uh, but that they, is funny. The, the last quote I have for this one is, quote, here we have a comedic, in quotes, jab at blind privilege of the upper middle class and it's Clooney's most ambitious work since 2005's Good Night, Good Luck. While the film doesn't amount to the sum of its parts, Suburbicon always has the gears turning, even if the outcome does leave its big names behind the eight ball, end quote. This movie did have the potential, like, I, and I think it did in some ways how, how suburbia can really be just this racist and also like, you know, the, the riots happening at the Myers house and they've done nothing wrong. Meanwhile, the people living right behind them are literally murderers and scamming and just awful, awful people. It just feels like the whole 
Myers family thing is just kind of thrown in there just to just to add add something more than what's happening with add social commentary. Yeah, yeah, a, a little bit, but it's disappointing because like they did, but they didn't. Can't half-ass that. <laughs> Either you do or you don't. You know. Yeah. I see what you're saying with, oh, it's like literally like on the other side of the street, there's a white family who actually has done something wrong and should and would warrant people rioting outside of their house for the actions that they've done. And like that is like the pseudo commentary on white privilege, but it's never really like harped on. Yeah. You don't get that message right away from watching the movie. That's the thing. It's just two different things are happening. It's almost like you're watching two different movies at the same time. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this last review I have is, this is from the movie blog and was written by Emmanuel Noisette in 2017, who gave it a five and a half out of 10 and titled this review, Suburbicon Could Have Been the White Version of Get Out. Oh, And they start with, quote, I think my absolute favorite part of this film was the first 10 minutes. We're given a touch of racial satire that may remind people of the same vibe from the movie Get Out. The characters in the movie quickly begin to set the dark, comedic tones that continues until the film's end, end quote. And then says that the bond between the children is a positive aspect of the film and is probably the one thing of the film that comes off as authentic as possible. And then says that Matt Damon delivers a performance, a solid performance, but his favorite performance was Oscar Isaac saying, quote, he seemed to be one of the few actors in this film that really got into his character and had fun with it. True. And then said that the movie was random and that the Mm. direction felt really disjointed once you got to the second half of the movie. And also at that point of the movie, the second half, it feels like it takes a very, very predictable turn. Says, quote, the direction and the writing just seem to mix like oil and water. And talks about how there's constantly failed jokes about religion, like the St. Patrick. Those jokes didn't land ever. Were there jokes? Exactly. (laughs) okay yeah because i'm sitting here going like were they jokes or were they just i don't even know you know it's like yeah i don't whatever yeah Um, yeah. but they'll (laughs) they also say that the movie attempts some sort of racial connection to tell the story but fails to communicate any message of white privilege and that quote the racism that is displayed in this film is taken to such an extreme it completely misses the mark of drawing any relevance to anything contemporary end quote and says that the whole film was a missed opportunity to like it was a missed opportunity to be more intriguing and ended the review with quote suburbicon could have been a great funny socially conscious film regrettably it's just not that deep it's a pretty random film that probably lives up to the expectations of the coen brothers fargo hail season etc. If you're a fan of their work, then maybe you'll enjoy this movie more than I did. I can't say that I disliked Suburbicon. However, I left the theater not feeling any type of way about it. I think that if a film leaves you indifferent, then that's an immediate red flag. Watch at your own risk, end quote. Did not affect me. It just left me confused. Nothing about that movie made us an actual real statement. So therefore, I didn't know what its message was and there. It's just random. This movie makes me understand those reviews where people are like, I wasted two hours of my life. (laughs) Right. Do you have anything to say else to say about the critic reviews? Uh, no, no, because I I, I feel like this last one just really just summed it all up. It really did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like the writing and the directing didn't really mix well? It felt like a Coen Brothers movie, but didn't didn't execute like a Coen Brothers movie. Like, I'm not I'm not gonna put all the blame on George Clooney. 
I think his writing on this, the other half of the script might have been at fault. I think so too. But I don't know. I just just poorly executed. Had you heard of this movie before? Mm-mm, I'd never heard of it before. I thought this was like an older movie too. I did not think this was 2017. I do not remember this coming out. I did not hear about it until like last week when you told me to watch it. So it used to be on Netflix. I watched the trailer for it. And like that other person said, the the racism storyline is not included in the trailer. It's literally just all the hijinks of the Lodge family and that part where um, Matt Damon's like, biking away on his kid's bike yeah and like it just seems like it's just this goofy crime dark comedy yeah the trailer's very misleading it seems like it's fully just a coen brothers movie kind of thing and then it when you watch it you're like oh it's like half a coen brothers movie it's kind of like from dusk till dawn how the first half is a (laughs) yes a quentin tarantino film and the other half is What's Robert his name? Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that it's thing just where it's different vibes. Where that one, it was literally like halfway point. Now it's a Robert Rodriguez movie. This one's like just blended together two different visions. It was like that what that one critic said you see the seams. You literally see the seams of between these different movies being made and put together. Yeah, exactly. It feels like you're flipping back and forth from two different movies yeah, while you're watching it. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Okay. So we'll move on to the audience reviews. And I'll just say there have been movies where it was like, it was like Iron Giant. It was so hard to find a negative review. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was hard to find a, a good positive review of this movie. Yeah. So this first one is a 10 out of 10 from IMDb from 2019 titled Brilliant. And it says Hitchcockian with a touch of John Waters. Well acted, well directed, well filmed. I think it. No. <laughs> No, no, no. that's just a that's just a horror film slash thriller director and a campy like satire director. You could have just said it's a it's a a thrillery campy satire. And I would have been like, yes, I see you. But John Waters and Hitchcock. No, that person just took two (laughs) two things and just threw them in this review. I was like, no, I'm sorry. That's That's exactly what it is. It is not John Waters campy. I am so sorry. <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand. Like, okay, thriller part, maybe. I do not understand where they're getting John Waters. It wasn't, it, it, I mean, no. I don't understand. No, absolutely not. But this movie is really not that funny. I'm going to say it. Like, Mm-mm. I was not laughing through this no. no. Like they said, those failed religion jokes, you didn't even notice were jokes. I didn't even know they were jokes. I thought it was just yeah. weird dialogue. Yeah, but we'll move on to the first one out of 10. This is from IMDb. It's titled Bad, Really Bad from 2017. Shocking with all the big names attached to this film. George Clooney, Julianne Moore, Matt Damon, etc, etc. It could be such a bomb. After dropping $50 to see it with the family, we all agreed 20 minutes into the film it wasn't worth our time. I tried to get a refund, but the theater manager just laughed. We had a similar experience with Matt Damon's Great Wall movie and lasted about 30 minutes before succumbing to boredom. I honestly can't imagine people in Hollywood screening this and thinking it was ready for release. It almost seems like they just attached a bunch of big names to this stinker just to fill seats. White collar crime at its finest. Not defending this movie and like they they have some points, but only giving this, not this movie, only giving a movie, just any movie, about 20 minutes to get into do and you all agree to leave and then you try to get this is some karen shit i'm sorry that's a little Mm -hmm. that's a little embarrassing it's an hour 45 minute 
45 minute movie you give it 20 minutes I, no <laughs> i give it 45 before i was before i was like okay no <laughs> yeah like they didn't even get to like halfway through the movie and like i'm not saying this movie i'm not trying to defend this movie i'm not saying they were mm -hmm. wrong for disliking this movie and like the last bit yeah they were making some points but come on you can't walk in a movie and be like mm, i don't like this tw first 20 minutes no you gotta sit and watch i don't like people who make reviews when i've only seen part of the movie because you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know where it goes. I'm not yeah. saying this movie goes anywhere. <laughs> but in general, <laughs> as, a, as a, this is my principle, you've mm -hmm. got to watch at, le at least majority of the movie to like it. Or to or to judge it. Not like it. To judge mm -hmm. it. you got to see it through. That's, yeah. that's some Karen shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. This next review is from Letterboxd. It's a two-star review from August of 2022. Clooney makes the silliest little films. Showing a little white boy and a little black boy share baseball and bugs over their fence is not commentary on segregation, as much as some people would like to think it is. Noah Jupe was lovely, and it was cool seeing that flashlight remote thing. The 50s were crazy. <laughs> oh my god. They were right. That flashlight remote thing was crazy. I was, like, really mesmerized <laughs> by that. I was like, is that really how it was? Like, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that isn't... Okay, uh, so the ending... Okay, I get it now when they're playing catch and there's that fence dividing them. Yeah. He's on, just on the other side of the fence. You know, it's... Right. Yeah. I get that, but like, there's dead bodies in his house. <laughs> his parents are in there. His whole... His literal entire family is dead in that house. So and he's just two, throwing a baseball over the fence. There's like two different things going on at, at, towards the end. It's like, I don't... Yeah. I don't understand. Goddamn. I didn't love that they just flipped it and all of a sudden the people in the neighborhood are being nice and helping them clean up. Yeah, all of a sudden there's like a, like a glimmer of hope random. I didn't want it to be shittier for them, but like... I don't know, like it just like, oh, oh like there's so It nice undercuts people. your little message. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Like I don't, I mean, I've said I don't get it a hundred times <laughs> within this episode. I just... Yeah, that should be the title. I just don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't think they got it. <laughs> Whoever made this movie. This next one is a 2 out of 10 from IMDb titled, Wait, What? From 2017. <laughs> Suburbicon is weird. Like, really weird. And not in a good way. Like drinking coffee out of a beer can that's also spiked with orange juice. And man, is it trying its darndest to make something unique and intentional. Unfortunately, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie swing so hard and end up whiffing even harder. Suburbicon is not just weird. It's also just plain bad. To describe it would be an act of, fu of futility. It's sort of about a family dealing with death. It's sort of about racism. It's sort of a mafia comedy. It's sort of a satire of the American dream. It's sort of a familial thriller. It has some great production design, and Oscar Isaac is a blast in his short screen time. Otherwise, it's one of the most obnoxious critiques of the dark suburban underbelly I've ever seen. I have no idea how someone is supposed to plug into this movie. Predictable when trying to be sneaky, dull when trying to be exciting, awkward when trying to be funny. It gives us no character to latch onto, no story to intrigue us, no humor to overcome its darkness, and no clarity or focus to its themes. Honestly, Mr. Clooney, what is this movie? Is it a quirky comedy? Is it a dark thriller? Is it a corny message on love or a cynical study of American justice? Whatever it is, I'll tell you what it isn't. A movie worth watching. I agreed with everything they said. This is a very, very accurate uh, opinion about this movie. They said everything I've been wanting to say. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like they listed like all the thing like it they wanted to be everything about all those like genres they were listing. And it just ended up being so messy because they were trying to fit all those different genres and tones into the movie. And wow, they that perfect review of this. Actually, this is a great commentary on this film that I completely want to say agree with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like I love when people address the filmmaker directly to Mr. Clooney. Clooney. You tell me what you thought this was. (laughs) Yeah. This next one is a one-star review from 2017 that says, from Letterboxd, that says, It's important to reflect on your life sometimes and count your blessings. For instance, today I'm incredibly grateful that this movie is only 104 minutes. I can only imagine if this movie was closer to two hours. I, oh. I wouldn't have picked it. I I probably be yelling through this thing if we had to watch it it was if it was at two hours or over two hours i'd be probably like very very way way more angry than very much so uh, this but this is just <laughs> <laughs> a one star review from 2018 on letterbox that just says stop yep i take it back this is the most accurate <laughs> this is the most accurate just oh this next one is a 1 out of 10 from 2020 on IMDb titled, This Could Be the Worst Film of the Year. This could be the worst film of the year. The writing was all Coen Brothers, but the execution was terrible. I am pretty sure if the Coen Brothers were to direct this film, it would have turned out a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'd have to rewrite a little rewrite bit. Rewrite a little bit. Uh, I, I just, I mean, just really just, just make the two storylines cohesive, put a message, say yeah. something. This next one is a one star review from January, 2022 on letterbox. George Clooney and his goddamn period pieces. He can't help it, can he? It's still utterly boring, but also his weirdest, most unexpected, and by that most interesting, question mark? One. Obviously, it's very Cohen-ish, but really third to fourth rate quality. Hmm. Most irritating thing being the intertwining of the actual fraud story, which essence by itself is already hard to grasp, and the tense 60s racism backdrop that being a backdrop is quite insulting to use yeah it surely is done out of good intentions but if your mood is happy-go-lucky cohen light satire then you probably shouldn't use heavy artillery as your historical anchor point maybe someone should have told clooney and the cohen's very true that is very very true because mm-hmm. they're just kind of used as the myers family is just kind of used as this they're they're not even like part of the main like i said they're not part of the main storyline they're they're just part of this like little other thing going on and it's just like that is and it ends up not meaning anything for the rest of the movie it's just mm-hmm. like I mean, I mean like this person said it's it's insulting you know just to oh, yeah. use them oh yeah that's almost like a prop for the movie mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. oh I did want to say earlier so this, let's say George Clooney didn't do anything like creative directly or writing for the movie for this movie who do you think he would have played if he were in this movie, if he didn't direct, if he didn't write, but you know, we love him as an actor. He's great. I think initially he was supposed to be Gardner. The dad. Mm-hmm. He would have played a good like Oscar Isaac's character. I think he would have done really, really well with that character. You know, I agree. I think, I think he would have too. Mm-hmm. This next review is a one out of 10 from IMDb titled bad exclamation point from 2020. <laughs> bad. He's <laughs> like scolding someone. <laughs> bad Clooney. <laughs> Very bad movie. I regret watching this. The plot of the movie is bad as well. The beginning is just poor, and I just don't want to start with 
with ending of the movie. Acting was good and outstanding performance of the boy, but story of the movie is just disappointing. Didn't like it at all. And if you're going to watch it, please save your precious time and try to look something else and you can thank me later. Usually I don't do this, but this is the worst movie ever made. And I just feel like I need to do this. And it's the emoji of a fist and it's punching a film camera. I didn't even know that existed until now. That's hilarious. You just want to punch this movie. And I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> I Very just thought true. it was funny that they, <laughs> they did that. Like, I want to do this to it. Mm. I thought it was a fish. <laughs> I thought it was a fish. I, I see that. Look at I see it. it. Yeah. The fist. Yeah. But yeah, I, I get that. I just want to go e punch it. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. This next one is from July of 2022 from Letterboxd, and it is one star. I couldn't care less about this poor excuse for a movie, but Oscar Isaac ate his 12 minutes of screen time and left no crumbs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And their profile picture is Oscar Isaac. Oh, they're a big fan. One out of 10 IMDb, March 2022, titled Just the Worst. I have added this to Blair Witch Frankenweenie as just one of the dumbest movies I have seen. Predictable. Acting made to just suck. The director must have shot each scene and right before filming said, make it campy and act like you just don't care. And action. I do hate the Blair Witch. I like the Blair Witch. So I don't know what this person's talking about. It's another movie that I'm like, why are you trying to make me upset? Nothing fucking happened to the Blair Witch. I like that movie. It's the, That's the point. That's the point. It's tension. It's supposed you to scare you. see the Blair Witch. That, they didn't have the budget. <laughs> they were literally filming on the cheapest video camera they could find. I love it. I think that's great. And it made fucking millions. It's awesome. I think that's pretty cool. Anyway, I'm we're gonna not going to get into the Blair Witch. <laughs> I'm just going to say, out of found footage movies, I would honestly rather watch any paranormal activity movie over the Blair Witch. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. If it weren't for Blair Witch, paranormal movies probably wouldn't exist. I don't give a shit. Blair Witch shit. started I don't give a it. shit. You could say all you want. It's like saying, oh, Citizen Kane did so much for film. <laughs> Does it mean I like it? I Does love the Blair Witch. I like it. I love the Blair Witch. I love it. You're, you know, you can have your opinions. I'm not saying you're right, though. Uh, I, I hate- can't wait till the day that we do the Blair Witch. Oh, it's coming up. It's coming up. It's coming up this October, probably. Mm-hmm. Or September. I don't know. I don't know if I want to start early or not. I'm feeling I, I need I need fall to start. Right. I, you know, maybe I, we'll, we'll yeah. kick it off. Yeah. Be ready, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What was the review we're reading again? They added this movie along with Frank and Weenie to like one okay. of the dumbest movies they've ever seen. Uh, not, sure. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's dumb. I just got mad when they they got, they mad uh, Blair Witch. Have you seen Frank and Weenie? I have never seen it, but I know it's not. People just didn't really like it that much. I didn't see it, but I know like Frank and Weenie's like, what is it? It goes. Uh, yeah, Jack Skellington. Jack Skellington's little dog to. And then Corpse, Corpse Bride. Bride. Frank and, and this. Yeah. Same. Yeah. The dogs are all. Yeah. Yeah. I wait. Okay. I like the part where they're like, make it campy, act like you don't care and action. <laughs> it's got. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is this movie that camp? Well, I guess. It's failed camp. For 1950s. Yeah. Because I, I just didn't get yeah. that. I just I just think that's how the 50s were. But, you know, I guess they, it, it's a little stylized or. Okay, so this next one is a half-star review from Letterboxd from 2018. That gossip from a while ago about how Clooney was gifting his best friends a million bucks makes much more sense after one watched this and comes to the conclusion this is a man that doesn't have friends but professional enablers. Well, that's mean. I'm, I'm sure they like—I'm sure they're all friends. 
That's so me. You're just, you're not even talking about the movie. You're just being like, George Clooney does have actual friends. <laughs> I think that they're saying this movie's proof that he doesn't have friends. He just pays people to do professional projects with him. I know, but that's so mean. I think he has friends. I think, I think they all just thought they wouldn't make money. I think it's a bunch they of friends leave. who are getting millions of dollars to make movies together, which is, you know, fun and cool, but... You don't think they read the, they read the script and were like, I'll do it for you, George. I, I mean, yeah, I think that in a way shows more that he does have friends, because they probably read it and were like... I think Mr. Clooney has friends. I do think Clooney has friends. <laughs> I think that's really mean that this person says he doesn't. Because <laughs> you can talk bad about this movie all you want, but don't don't go for him. Don't 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 be mean. <laughs> he deserves that. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying, but I just thought it was funny. It is very funny. <laughs> but the last review I have is a five star review from 2021 on Letterbox that says Suburbicon. A name derived from Sublime and Urbicon. Now, I don't know what Urbicon means, but if you look in the dictionary next to Sublime, you'll see this movie. A clever, unique piece of storytelling with a great cast and definitely not the worst thing you've ever seen. Sassy, remember when we watched those Tommy Wiseau Joker reels? You're gonna tell me that was better than this? Like, I get we love him, but come on, man. From a critical point of view, you can't deny this movie isn't better. And don't get me started on comparing to No Country for Old Men. You're going to tell me that movie was better than this? There's no way they just made the damn thing so Javier Bardem <laughs> could use the cool gas bolt to open doors and screen test Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin side by side for Men in Black 3. Overall, pretty good movie. Okay, at first, this is the most deranged <laughs> review I've ever read. Because at first, it's like, so, if you look in the dictionary for Sublime, and then it goes into this fucking crazy uh, Zodiac Killer Rin poem <laughs> review. Saying that, saying that this movie was better than No Country for Old Men. I, what's their problem with No Country for Old Men? I, do they not like Javier Bardem or Tommy was, Lee Jones? I guess or not. Or Josh Brolin? God, this was so crazy. Oh my god. Like I said, could not find a lot of good reviews for this They movie. don't even talk, they don't really, they hardly talk about <laughs> Suburbicon. They just go and tell them, yeah. like, no country for old men. Oh my god, that's so funny. That's and insane. They're talking to their friend for the most of it. Said, Sassy, remember when we watched those Tommy Wiseau Joker reels? Oh my god. Uh, it seems like this looks like, um. Oh my god, it's a picture of him. Wait, it's a picture of Matt Damon as their profile picture. <laughs> that's so funny. It reads like, you know how you can do voice text and you can talk and text? This is what that is. They were first mm -hmm. trying to write the review, forgot they were writing the review, went to go text Sassy, but never got... <laughs> it's just still writing the review, so it's just their text <laughs> message of them going on a rant about No Country mm -hmm. for Old Men. That's mm -hmm. funny. Yeah. Oh my god. Um... That's a 10 out of 10 review. I love that. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know if I agree with anything they had to say, but... I do think it's better than something from Tommy Wiseau, but I don't agree that it's better than No Country for Old Men. I don't know what the problem with No Country for Old Men is. Or Harvey Arbatim or Tommy Lee Jones. That's so funny. Or Men in Black 3. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. What would you rate? this movie out of 10 if you had to uh my heart is telling me i don't know probably like a three out of ten i was gonna say two out of ten yeah because there's just it's so messy 
non-cohesive. It's all over the place. Could, it could have been good, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't. I Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with two out of ten, and I'm going to say that one point is for the potential. Yeah. And the other point is for, like, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac, Noah Jupe. Yeah. It, is it the extra point for the Coen brothers? or No. Because I don't, I don't think they helped much with this fucking movie. No. Yeah. One one so, points for the potential. One points for Oscar Isaac. The last point is just want to be nice to George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> and he does have friends. One, yeah, one point for yes, he does have friends. <laughs> one stars for George Clooney. <laughs> he, if he doesn't have any friends, he at least has a star. Mm-hmm. And he didn't pay for that one. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anything else you want to say, or should we just? No, I I feel like we. I've, we've talked to death about this movie all right well if you have any comments or suggestions for movies that we should watch or any critiques on us or any just general complaints you can reach us on our instagram at easy bake takes and you can also follow along with what future episodes are going to do and whatnot we also sometimes post clips of our episodes on tiktok also at easy bake take and if you feel like it feel free to leave us a rating or a review on wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a follow if you like us it really does help us out but thank you so much for listening my name's kat and i'm riley this has been easy bake takes easy watching out there bye bye